Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to RPC at 11. I hope you all had a great Christmas and New Year's. I want you to know that we were really knocking the socks off this place uh, during Advent and on Christmas Eve. It was just a joy to come together and worship. Um, Hopefully you were able to participate with us. We look forward to a great new decade here at RPC as God calls us forth. So why title this sermon series, Counterfeit Gods? Whether you are capital R religious or not, I believe every human being at the fundamental uh, center of their being has a desire, a need to feel like they are enough. Moral psychologists, the Bible will call, sometimes call this self-justification. Sometimes they'll call it Righteousness. We have a desire to feel righteous. We have a desire to feel like we are enough. And and we want to feel like we're enough ourselves. And we want other people to think like we're enough. Okay? So you can probably take many people in your life or yourself and think about what drives them. What drives their life? What makes them do what they do? Oftentimes they're asking the question, I'm not successful enough, so I need to work harder. I'm not wealthy enough, so I need to get more money. I'm not influential enough, so I need to get on another board of directors. I'm not athletic enough. I need to practice more. I could go on and on. Am I thin enough? Am I I beautiful enough? Am I woke enough? Am I Christian enough? Goes on and on, and we answer this by trying harder. And over the next two months, we're going to wrestle with this problem in various areas of our lives. As the Bible tells it, this problem goes back to the very beginning of humanity. It's part of who we are. I began thinking about this by reading this book um, called Seculosity. It's kind of funny. In the, uh, I had about five or six different books, that, both Christian and non-Christian, that refer to this problem that I'm going to talk about today. And I had it in the introduction. I was like, wait, the introduction is longer than my sermon. So I said, why don't we just spread those out? So we're going to get into a lot of uh, different kind of lenses into look at this problem of counterfeit gods. But this writer in this book, Seculosity, David Zoll, he says, he says that in our culture, as fewer and fewer people are capital R religious, now things that we formerly thought as being secular are now taking a religious form. Okay, does that make sense? So things that we thought were secular, are now functioning practically as religions. They're becoming counterfeit gods. They're trying to make us feel like we are enough, that we're self-justified, that we are righteous. And so we're going to look at Scripture to diagnose this problem. And then we're going to look and see how does Jesus and the good news of Jesus Christ offer us freedom from this problem and to become the people God has created and called us to be. Today we're looking at the counterfeit God of busyness. And our passage comes with when Jesus comes to this house that two sisters live in. And he engages this problem of busyness. So now let us look at Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village. 
where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments that you might be our teacher, that you might help us recognize the counterfeit gods in our lives and how we worship them, but then you also might offer us the solution to the God who offer, revealed in Jesus Christ who offers us freedom, freedom to become the people you have created and called us to be. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Busyness has almost become a virtue in our culture. When you ask someone how have they been doing, I almost guarantee that 75% of the time they will say, I've been busy. When was the last time you asked somebody, what have you been up to? And they said, eh, not much. Doesn't happen. I mean, when was the last time you heard someone say, my life is so peaceful, so restful, it's been so slow, I feel like I'm on a lily pad in a Monet painting. It's never happened. People say, I'm busy. People say, I'm so busy. Why? Because saying I'm busy says something about you in our culture. To say I'm busy is to say I'm important. People are in need of my services. People can't live without me. Guess what? I'm the man. Busyness is meant to signify that I am enough. It's meant to justify ourselves, to show that we are enough to ourselves and to other people. But as every busy person will eventually discover, busyness won't ever make you feel like you're enough in the end. In our passage today, Martha is the prototypical busy person. Jesus arrives in town and he comes to Martha's house to visit. I can imagine this is a stressful moment for the house. A rabbi celebrity is in town, has come to their home. You know how rabbi celebrities like to be treated. They like fine matzo bread. They like great kosher wine. They want the, the red carpet to be rolled out in front of them. A great cheese plate, a fine manischewitz. Martha is busy. She's thinking to herself, what does my sister Mary think she's doing? Get up and help me. Doesn't she know how busy I am at work to get ready for this rabbi? So she comes in and she looks at Jesus. She says, look at her. Why is she not helping? And notice how Jesus responds. He says, Martha, Martha. And I like to think he said it a third time. Martha, Martha, Martha. You are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. You are busy and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. I believe this is the sign 
of the busy person of a person who is taken with busyness. They are distracted by many things when there is need of only one thing. Busyness is a form of distraction because it distracts us from what we really should be paying attention to, about what's really important. One of the people who thought most clearly and incisively about this problem was the 17th century philosopher, theologian, and scientist Blaise Pascal. He lived in Paris. He was a, a busy guy. He invented the first calculator, designed Paris's transportation system, developed the fundamental rules for calculus known as Pascal's integer, and he died at the age of 39. Spent much of his time trying to argue for the persuasiveness and the tenability of Christian faith in the modern world. When he died at the age of 39, they collected his writings together and they compiled them in this book called The Pensee. And they were full of little aphorisms, little sayings that he would write down. And they were meant to make you think about your life. And he would often think about busyness, distraction, or what he called diversion. Listen to one of these. He says, I have discovered that all the unhappiness of people arises from one single fact, that they cannot stay quietly in their own room. The unhappiness of all people comes from the fact that they cannot stay quietly in their own room. What is Pascal saying here? Pascal is saying we have a tendency to distract ourselves because we think it will satisfy our hearts. But in fact, distraction only leads us to further alienation. At one point in the Ponce, he puts a real fine point on it. He says this, the only thing which consoles us for our miser miseries is diversion. And yet this is the greatest of our miseries. What is he saying? He's saying we often make ourselves so busy with various activities, let's say sports, business, entertainment, meetings, social media, I could go on and on. They're all fine and good. However, they become distractions when they distract us from the most important things about life. Important things like God and purpose love and friendship, life and death. We busy ourselves so we won't think about the most important things of our lives. But this distraction leads us into more and more misery, he says, because it distracts us from what really will satisfy us, what really matters in human life. Martha is busy preparing the meal, and that's a good thing they need to eat. But it's not the most important thing. She's got Jesus right there, and she's ignoring the most important thing. She's missing the opportunity to sit with him. She's being distracted from the most important thing. What is the most important thing in your life? When does busyness get in the way of you focusing in on what's most important? I remember hearing a comedian talk about parents who busy themselves trying to, to take videos of their kids at concerts. The parents are so busy trying to figure out how the camera works to take the video that they miss the performance, the very thing that's happening. And he says what's so ironic about the whole thing is they busy themselves trying to take a video that they'd never watch anyway. I said, he's making fun of me. When you do that, you are worshiping at the altar of the counterfeit God of busyness. 
This is the same thing that stands behind the Bruce Springsteen song, 57 Channels and Nothing On. Tells the story of a guy who just sits there in front of the TV and he's got his beloved beside him, but he keeps going, scrolling through the channels, even though he knows there's nothing on. He distracts himself from what's most important. And it leads to the breakup of their relationship. How many of you have ever done that? Scroll and scroll. Because you want to distract yourself from the fact that there's nothing on that you want to watch and from the most important things about life. We all will wrestle with busyness. We all will. It's a part of our lives. It's a paradox. The paradox of busyness, wrestling with it. So I have three questions for us. Number one, when is enough enough? Are you what you do? And number three, do you want to be like Dick Vitale? These questions will help you notice, reflect on, and hopefully manage the paradox of busyness in your life. When is enough enough? Our culture has made busyness a requirement of our children. They need to be on three sports teams, participating in four clubs, getting perfect grades, and volunteering at a local nonprofit. And after a few months of that, you can add therapy to the list. The NBA and USA Basketball recently released a report saying this, that kids are not playing too little basketball, they're playing too much. The NBA and USA Basketball said, kids are playing too much basketball. It says this overemphasis on tournaments, competitiveness, and training is leading to early age burnout and significant increase in injuries. The NBA produced a table with recommendations on how many hours a week kids should be playing. For instance, seven to eight-year-olds should be practicing once a week for 30 to 60 minutes. And I thought, well, my 11-year-old or 11-month-old is really overdoing it. <laughs> they also recommend that kids should be playing more than one sport. The NBA is saying kids should be playing more than just basketball. You see, there's a dark lie that lies at the heart of all our culture. It says, if you practice more, I will get what I want. I will be enough. And I can tell you, you can practice all the basketball from personal experience and you will still not get where you want. If, you, I, if I focus in on one sport, I'll be enough. I'll justify myself. But that attitude is counterproductive. It's good to practice. But being too busy with practicing can actually lead to the opposite result that you seek. Read David uh, Epstein's book, Range, to see an expert analysis of this fact when it comes to sports. Sometimes we have to say enough is enough. This is one reason we tithe in church. We tithe to say, no matter how much money I get and accumulate, it will never be enough. This is one reason we take a Sabbath rest. We rest one day a week to point to the reality to ourselves, no matter how much we work, it will never be enough. This is one reason we attend church regularly, to remind ourselves of where we do find our enoughness, where we are justified, where we find our righteousness. We have to learn to say no to certain pathways, to certain options, to certain opportunities. We cannot do everything at some point. You have to say enough is enough. 
Second question, are you what you do? Are you what you do? The University of Pennsylvania made national headlines a few years ago when six students died by suicide in a 13-month stretch between 2013 and 2014. The administration pulled together a task force to kind of analyze and study the mental health of their students on campus. When the report was published, and remember this was at the University of Pennsylvania, it referenced a phenomenon called penface. They defined this as the practice of acting happy and self-assured even when you're sad or stressed. So why did people have to put on the pen face? Students said they felt they had to give, and I quote, the perception that one has to be perfect in every academic, co-curricular, and social endeavor. You have to be perfect in every area of your lives. But the interesting thing they said was, is not only did you have to be perfect in every area of your life, you had to make it look like it was effortless. You had to be perfect to make it, and then make it look like it was effortless. The re report said that spending too much time in this mode can manifest as demoralization, alienation, or conditions like anxiety or depression. When this report was published, the New York Times sent reporters to the University of Pennsylvania to inter interview students one-on-one. -on -one. They met with one student who had been a, a really good student, this woman, and she just recently scored in the 60s on a calculus test. This has never happened to her. And she began to think of thoughts of suicide. And she said this, I had a picture of my future. And as that future deteriorated, I stopped imagining another future. I had a picture of my future. And as that future deteriorated, I stopped imagining another future. She became too busy, too busy thinking that she was only a student to imagine another future. She couldn't see the reality that she was bigger than just being a student. Her future deteriorated. It's because she found her identity. She became so busy that she found her identity in what she did. The problem is, is if you are what you do, what happens when what you do goes away? What's left? There's got to be more. You might assume this only occurs in highly, highly competitive, research-based universities. This is where the busy people are. These are where people are worn out. I'll give you another illustration. A few years ago, the journalist Bridget Schult put that theory to the test while doing research for her 2014 book, Overwhelmed. She traveled to North Dakota and gathered a group of farmers there to talk to them in a focus group, to talk to them about their lives. She said, surely in North Dakota, which is mostly barren, there's not a, a lot of distractions there. Surely there, they'd be able to focus in on what's most important. She writes this, and I quote, You'd think, wouldn't the North Dakotans enjoy, enjoy their lives more? Wouldn't they have more time for what's important? But sitting around that focus group table, every single person was stressed out of their minds. One woman said the only leisure time she'd had is when she was awaiting her mammogram in the doctor's office. When we become busy, we give into the lie that we are what we do. That's what happens when we worship the counterfeit God of busyness. Let's look at what Jesus has to say. And I just picked a random passage of scripture on this topic. 
Jesus offers us a different way. Rest for our souls. Matthew 10, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you that are weary and you're carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love you and value you for you, not for what you do. It's bigger than that. You're already enough to me. Don't get so busy that you connect your identity with who you are, what you do. I can imagine Jesus with Martha. Martha, my friend, you're busy with good things, but don't forget the most important things. Busyness is going to wear you out. You're never going to find the rest you seek. It's getting in the way of your relationships, the relationship with me and the relationship with your sister. It's important, Martha, that you don't find your identity in what you do. Don't get so busy that you forget that. Third question. Do you want to be Dick Vitale? The Greek philosopher Plato once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. He's pointing out that we can become so busy being in the speediness of our lives that we miss what's going on around us. I've recently been reading the book on the history of ESPN called Those Guys Have All the Fun. It recounts uh, ESPN's pursuit of global dominance in sports broadcasting. And at the beginning of the book, it recounts the story of how Dick Vitale goes from being a college and professional coach to being a, probably one of the more, more fo- famous sportscasters we have. You know, he's the guy that came up with the slogan, that's awesome, baby. Or he saw a good young player, he'd say, he's a diaper dandy, okay? And Vitale, you know, might have a lot of problems, but energy is not one of them. And his first game that he ever broadcasts, he's partnered with the legendary sportscaster, Jim Simpson. Well, they're in their first game together, and Dick is talking so much that finally Jim tells the producer, cut his mic off. I've got to teach this guy a lesson. See, and honestly, even today, I wonder if Dick Vitale got the lesson. (laughs) But what Jim Simpson was saying is you got to stop talking and listen. You can't get so busy talking. Even if you're paid to talk, you must be deliberate. You must think about what you say. You can't get busy. And we see this, this principle all over Scripture. We have to be slow to speak, slow to talk. We have to listen to one another and to God. I picked a random passage from Scripture From the book of James, James 1, James is all about the activity and living the Christian life, but he begins his letter in James 1 saying, you must understand this, my beloved, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Be active by listening. Psalm 46 reads, be still and know that I am God. You must take deliberate time for stillness, for rest, for silence. If we want to feel the presence of God, we must do this. All the time people ask me, I don't feel the presence of God, and I'll ask them, how busy are you? Are you carving out time to listen for the still, small voice? Are you taking time for stillness? Friends, why not make 2020 a year when you listen clearly? Take time to slow down, to pray every day. 
Take time to spend, friend, spend time with friends and family. Develop and cultivate deep relationships. Plan family dinners. Turn off the TV. Put away the cell phones and take time to listen to one another. Gather with the family of faith here at RPC. Don't worship the counterfeit God of busyness. Just weigh you down. It will destroy your relationships with God and with one another. Worship the God revealed in Jesus Christ who offers peace, freedom, and rest. This is the God we deserve and we look for and we worship. This is the life we want and truly desire. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are not like the counterfeit God of busyness. And so I pray that we might have the courage to say when enough is enough, that we might have the wisdom to know that we are not what we do. And Lord, that we might, might take times of silence and stillness to stop talking and listen to you and listen to one another. Thank you for this congregation and this community that has made that a priority. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.